0: Today, we're going to explore just six verses from Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 25. We're going to take it in two parts, three verses each. So we'll do verses 25 to 27 here. Although when I first gave the sermon with the group, Curtis noted my typo that said that we would read verses 25 to 267 and be here forever. Nevertheless, let's dive in at verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. As Jesus says all this, I'm reminded of the shell game, a little trinket hidden beneath three shells, expertly shuffled around. And then I went looking for an example of this game and found one on YouTube, because everything's on YouTube. But in the game on YouTube, a human put a little ball under a few Dixie cups, shuffled them around, and the player picked always getting it correct. The player was a cat. And this actually fits really well, because... When we think about the game, we know how that player is always trying so hard just to keep track of which shell is the right one, which cup really has the ball, which one's real. And it's kind of similar here. Like these things that Jesus mentions, by which Jesus means the truths of God's character and kingdom, what is also sometimes represented in the Bible just with the word wisdom. These things have been tucked away And the scribes, Pharisees, and Sadducees are all trying to keep track of it. What's God really doing? Where is God really moving? But the ones who are keeping up are the unimportant, marginalized, overlooked folks, the ones Jesus calls little children. It's kind of like how the only one who's really good at the game is the cat. Now, this happens in part because those leaders expect wisdom to live only in Torah. And so they look there for revelation But Jesus is saying, I am the revelation. This prayer of Jesus is, it's a subtle way of communicating, subtle in part so as not to call the wrong kind of attention, but of communicating that I, Jesus, I represent God. I reveal what's true of God. I am the revelation. Revelation. And y'all, I couldn't help it. I'm so sorry, but we are heading into a three-part alliteration as ways to get our hands on what's going on in the passage. So first, revelation, that Jesus is the revelation. A theme that Paul picks up on, in fact, in Colossians 1, where speaking of Jesus, starting in verse 15, Paul writes this, The Son is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. For in Christ, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything Christ may have preeminence. For God was pleased, to have all God's fullness dwell in Jesus and through him to reconcile to God's self all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through Jesus' blood shed on the cross. This is the thing that the so-called little children are understanding, that Christ is the revelation. It's really then to them, the ones with insight, the ones who are seeing it's to them Jesus speaks as he continues on in Matthew 11:28. Jesus says, "Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light." So a yoke, as you may have heard before perhaps, It was a wooden bar that was fitted to go over the shoulders in order to more easily carry a heavy load. It made it possible for fields to be tilled and planted or for water to be carried. But it isn't just a tool for animals like a pair of ox. People can carry a yoke as well. And this image was common enough that Pharisees spoke of people being called to carry the yoke of the Torah which had evolved to not only be the law as it's recorded and passed on down, but the many, many interpretive layers that have been added on to it in the hope that right observance would usher in the full return from exile, the full restoration of the kingdom. And Jesus is saying, it's not about the restoration of the land. It's about the revelation of God in me. And then he's here with an offer of Rescue. Rescue. Jesus, the revelation, has come to offer rescue to those who see that God has revealed these things in him. This is how Jesus continues after his message of being the revelation. He says, come to me, which is interesting because of what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, come to the Torah, and in it, its wisdom will lead you to rest. He doesn't even say, go to God, and God will give you rest. He says, come to me. I'm the revelation of God's character, God's desires, God's attitudes, God's dreams, God's reign on earth. So come to me and I'm here to rescue you from the weariness, from your burdens, because Jesus knows we don't just need a break. We need to set it all down. What burdens do you need to set down today? We cannot take on Jesus's yoke without setting down whatever is currently burdening us. You've got to take off the one in order to put on the other. But the thing is, Jesus really hopes that we will. And setting down our burdens is actually a sign of trust. Carrying the yoke of the Torah, or in our case, perhaps carrying the yoke of religious practice or the yoke of Christian busyness, whatever we believe to be God's expectations that we've then created some burdensome version of it, we sometimes carry it because At least in part, we're afraid that God wants us carrying it. That God wants us to live that way. So what if we set it down and God gets mad? This invitation from Jesus, it has the power to expose our false views of God. False views like seeing God as a police officer or a strict teacher hovering over our shoulder. An invisible, far-off presence beyond the clouds a white male judge behind a bench. This invitation is here to help us not be afraid of leaving those lowercase g gods behind and putting down the burden that those lowercase g gods have placed upon us. I'm reminded of Lynn Heibel's story. Years ago, she wrote a little book called Nice Girls Don't Change the World, and she told the story of being out on a boat one day after years and years, a lifetime really, of doing what she thought pleased God, to the point that she was not just run ragged, but deeply depressed. And on the deck of a boat, she said, I can't do it. I can't keep striving for your love. I can't carry the burden of you anymore. She said she'd never called God a burden before, but it had become true. And so she left God behind for years. And yet over time, she came to want a God. Some God, not the God that she'd left, not the God of her childhood, not the God that had burdened her, but some God nonetheless. And slowly, God introduced God's self to her, bit by bit, ever so gently. And she will say that she came to realize that the true God in kindness is the one who had given her the courage to walk away from the false God so many years before, that what felt like abandonment was actually setting down a heavy load in order to take on a light one. It was God revealing to her and rescuing her with rest, rest. And so now here's Jesus and Matthew saying to these people, I'm the revelation. Am I angry, strict, hovering over you, aloof? No. And I'm here to rescue you from the burden of serving a no God like that. You really can set it down and instead you can rest. You can have rest in your souls, in your deepest, in most being, actually, because you may remember that the word soul in the Bible, it's more about our very essence, our gut, even. It's not the same as the Greek idea of soul, which is recently revived through uh, the magic of Pixar. It's not that eternal, immortal essence within us. That wasn't on the radar of these folks one bit, but there is an idea of our core who we are. As we take on a yoke that's easy, a burden that's light, it actually feels like rest deep within us. And part of that is because Jesus carries weight with us. Instead of the yoke of the Torah, where we always wonder how God really feels about us, we take on the yoke of Jesus, which is designed most of all to keep us close to him, not weighed down by him. It connects us together, us and Jesus, so that we never forget how much we're loved living like God really loves us, that's rest in our inner beings. What would be different for you in your regular days if you trusted Jesus's offer for an easy yoke and a light burden? What might you stop worrying about? What might you share with Jesus that you're not sure feel safe to share with him right now? What false image of God would you walk away from When we were together live as a group, we spent about five minutes doing a breath prayer where we would breathe in, come to me, and breathe out, I will give you rest. Letting Jesus' own words form our prayer as we breathe in, come to me, and breathe out, I will give you rest. Another option for this breath prayer might be to make it a response. Here am I, breathe out, give me rest. Breathe in, here am I. Breathe out, give me rest. If you're able, I would encourage you to set a five-minute timer wherever you are to find stillness and quiet and just breathe. Here's why we picked a breath prayer as a response before I send you to that time. We wanted to take some time to practice being open to Jesus and open to setting burdens down, open to a new yoke. And our practices, all of them, they're an on-ramp. An image I got from Kendra Adachi, who has a podcast called The Lazy Genius. She talked about how the point of the practices is to be an on-ramp that sets us towards a direction. They're not the point. The point is the destination. And so if the destination, if what we want is to trust Jesus and experience this deep rest, live with an easy yoke and a light burden, then practices are the on-ramp that set us in the direction towards that thing. And the thing about a breath prayer is that it is in its very essence restful. What is more restful than a prayer that is as easy as breathing? You're already doing it anyway. And then you can just connect with God. No special books, no special songs, no special locations needed. You're just going to breathe. And so as I send you to hopefully take that time, may I bless you with the words of Christ. Would you come to him with your weariness and your burdens and may Christ give you rest in your innermost being. In the name of the triune God. Amen.